Good morning. It's Saturday, May the 9th. We're reading through the Bible in a year. I'm just getting you ready for your Old Testament and New Testament reading. Today we're in 1 Kings chapters 19 and 20. And you remember the last thing we read yesterday morning was the defeat of the prophets of Baal by Elijah. Now Elijah comes off that great victory and falls into a season of despondency. I mean, immediately he's running from Jezebel, uh, the queen, if you will, and she's uh, out there to kill him. And he is just not... Uh, just doesn't have the energy to go on. And God has to minister to him and get him back from saying, just kill me. I mean, he was just despairing even of life, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1. And God strengthens him, lets him sleep, lets him eat, gives him what he needs to get back on the beam. So that was a helpful um, preparation, even for what he's called to do at the end of that chapter, which is to hand uh, the mantle, literally this cloak to Elisha. So we have Elijah and Elisha, and Elisha becomes this amazing prophet with so many things that God does through him, even more in terms of the miraculous things God does through Elisha than he did through Elijah. Uh, in chapter 20, uh, Ben Hadad, who becomes a figure very important in uh, not only in secular ancient Near Eastern history, but also in biblical history, uh, he attacks um, Israel and Ahab, who you know uh, there in the northern kingdom is a uh, bad king, and yet he is uh, someone who is given support by God. God steps up to support him so undeservingly. Uh, he's notoriously bad, and yet God is being gracious to him. And actually in this text, you'll see it, I think even the ESV um, headings on the paragraph say uh, he defeats uh, Syria again, or it defeats Ben-Hadad a second time. I mean, twice in this chapter, God gives him the ability to defeat uh, the Syrian army twice. Our New Testament reading is in John chapter 2. This is the first of Jesus' miracles, which should remind us that all those, all those pseudopigraphal, apocryphal stories of Jesus' childhood where he's making birds out of clay and bringing things back to life, uh, they're just all fanciful, late, uh, false forged documents. And uh, you can tell by reading them, if you ever take time to read them, which I have there, uh, they, they don't even smack of the ideas of historical documents. They're just fanciful tales. But this says very clearly, this is the first of his miracles showing his glory there in Canaan. He takes H2O and turns it into a very, very chemically uh, complex substance. You know, it takes uh, the right alkalinity, the right kind of uh, proteins. It takes uh, the right kind of uh, hexose sugars, complex sugars to make wine. And he does that with the word of his mouth. There are 300 chemicals, they tell us, in uh, wine that are carefully balanced to make it taste right. And here they were saying it was the best tasting wine at this uh, wedding reception. So uh, Jesus proves his ability to create something with the word of his power that have an immediate chemical scientific appearance of history and age that it never had. That is how Jesus shows that he is the creator and that all things were created by him and clearly the application and for him. And this is uh, just one good example of that. And he ends that after that uh, powerful expression of his uh, miraculous glory. Uh, he goes and uh, cleans out the temple. This is the first of two times that it happens and even predicts his resurrection there as he routes the uh, money changers that are there just greedy for profit in the uh, temple complex and shows his authority. Um, the one another's we were 
done with all of those one another's in scripture, been through them all, but we were looking at community commands, things that the Bible tells us to do in the context of a community, even though it's not stated as a one another. But here's one still in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 27. If you want to look that up real quick, look at how strongly this is stated. You want to talk about something we are just obligated to do. Uh, certainly it has a contextual historical context, but here is how it's put. 1 Thess 5, 27. He says, I put you under oath before the Lord. I, mean, I couldn't be stronger than that, right? To have this letter read to all the brothers. See, so there's some folks, you know, Tim and Sam and Joe are not in church and uh, this letter is read and here's the command. You better get someone to get that letter and you better read it to everyone. And uh, that's just a great reminder for us, certainly in our modern context, to make sure that we're passing on the scriptures, that we're doing the best we can uh, and feeling the biblical obligation to pass on the truth of scripture. And no better way to do that than through our partners program. I mean, that's just one good application. I give a quick plug for that. Uh, one thing you can do even before we can assemble in small groups or in large groups is to get involved in our partners program. You can write us at the church, info at compasschurch.org, and we will get you information about partners. It's where you can take what God has taught you about the Word of God and pass it on one-on-one -on -one to someone else. Share the scripture, share the truth, pass on the Word of God to other people. That's your exhortation for today. And if you're not even doing it, if you're not doing it formally, be sure you do it informally in some way today. Even just text someone a verse from God's Word that you think might minister to them and feel the obligation to take the Word of God that's been implanted in you and pass it on to others. And I'm sure that's been a ministry to you in some way and encourage you. If it has, I'd love to hear about it. Comment and uh, be sure to subscribe. We'll continue to go through our daily Bible reading together. And I'll see you back here tomorrow morning.